even if that second registrar coming on to receive the patients was genuinely attacking you. That doesn't mean that you have to suffer in that situation or doubt yourself or criticize yourself or show up in a lesser way. We want you to be able to recognize how you're interpreting this handover so that you can hold yourself in a way that means that you can hold your head high, correct the mistakes that you've made, and then walk out of the hospital and have your time off not feeling plagued. Hello, my beautiful friends. My name is Dr. Beck. And I am Christine Barker. And this is Am I Doing It Wrong? A podcast for doctors by doctors. Dr. Beck is a mindset coach and medical doctor who specializes in liberating driven professional women from the limitations of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and people pleasing. She's basically the cheat code for getting out of your own way, showing up authentically, and living a life you're proud of. And Christine is a medical educator and nephrologist who creates resources for doctors in training that I truly think are an unfair advantage. She makes complex topics super simple and takes the pain and uncertainty out of passing your medical exams. Christine and I connected a few years ago via our online platforms and over the years we've discussed countless highs, lows and in-betweens of Dr. Life. And in doing so, we've experienced firsthand the power of vulnerable conversations to show us where we get in our own way and underestimating our capacity. So we want you to be part of the conversation and experience these same results. Every week on the pod, we'll be bringing you conversations which shine light in dark places, normalize the doctor journey, ease unnecessary suffering, and give you actionable steps to thrive in all facets of your life. So grab a cuppa and get cozy for this week's episode of Am I Doing It Wrong? The podcast for doctors by doctors. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to our channel and the next episode of our podcast, Am I Doing It Wrong? And today we're going to be talking about handovers and what not to do in your handovers. I was thinking about this the other day um, and it just popped into my head randomly and I, I was so excited to come and pick your brain on it because I had this flashback to when I was a registrar and I was handing over to one of my colleagues and don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing my colleague. This is like, I'm sure I've been guilty of this on occasion too, but I think it's great to have this top of mind. But I remember giving this handover to my colleague on a Friday night. I've been working so hard. I've been saving lives. (laughs) It's been a busy week. It's been a messy and busy week. And I'm trying to communicate all these things for the weekend, obviously to keep my patients safe. So that's where I'm at. But I remember this particular colleague Um, they had this style of like when you were telling them about your handover and your patients they would poke holes in it so they they would start to criticize your handover and instead of saying things like oh you know from a curious place like oh have have we done such and such or um you know tell me about that investigation something curious and sort of holding space for the handover it felt more like they were attacking my management plans <laughs> and it made me feel on the other end like I you know it wasn't a good feeling I didn't want to continue with the handover it made me really censored I was really alert to what I might say next and it just felt terrible and I think this is not an uncommon scenario and so I wanted to open up a conversation about it so that we can learn what to do and not to do in handovers and have a better work day overall so um, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this have you ever had a similar situation with handovers? I can't bring a specific handover to mind, maybe because I black them out, (laughs) these terrible ones, because I'm sure that these have occurred. And, you know, at the best of times, I am um, not completely 
certain or confident in all of the management plans that have transpired thus far and let alone what is to come for the weekend. So it's a very vulnerable place to be in, you know, in that situation, especially when you've got a large patient load and you haven't, you know, in these cases, you haven't necessarily been able to give the amount of time and thought and care to making sure your your plans again in the past and for the the time to follow are up to your standard and things that you um, completely back and completely agree with this is just not the luxury of that level of um, perfectionism in the hospital is there so I just think it, it truly is a um, it's a breeding ground for insecurity if we are perfectionistic about our expectations for um, uh, how how perfect our management plans are. So yes, I'm. Look, probably even as we talk about it, you'll probably bring up past scenarios for me personally as well. <laughs> yeah, and I love what you what you said about the vulnerability component, but also just that uncertainty. There's this impossible task where you've got a list of complex patients, and they're still in evolution. You don't have all the answers because that's not how medicine works. And if you had all the answers, they'd probably be all fixed up and at the bus stop right now with their little <laughs> discharge summary. Right? They're not because that's not how medicine works and it's unpredictable. So I think it's such an interesting thing to have top of mind when you are doing handovers is thinking about the person who's giving the handover, if that's you or someone else, and then receiving the handover. Cause I think there's a good way to give a handover and a good way to receive a handover that sort of ultimately improves your working day, but also patient care. Um, so in a, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of how I did handle this situation with a, a difficult conversation with my colleague and that put things back on track. But before I talk about that, I wanted to ask how you would handle this situation. So as a perfection coach, <laughs> perfectionism coach even, and a coach of doctors at large, if I had that situation and I was coming to you for advice on how I might have a better relationship with this particular person that makes my handover difficult, what would you advise? Yeah, and as you said that, I I think this is just a situation where all of like my core coaching, um, the problems I solve in coaching come up, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and people-pleasing, all of these I think would be very likely to come up in this difficult handover situation. And so the way that I would start to approach it is, understanding so I'm thinking about the person who you know you're you're the vulnerable one you're at the end of your week say you've just done I don't know when I was at Box Hill we used to do these seven or eight day runs as a med reg and then so you do a week on and then your co med reg would do the next seven or eight days and you keep cycling like that so you would constantly be changing hands after doing your week of patients you'd hand them over for the week to follow and um I when I think about that situation, I think um, the hardest position is to be the person who has just cared for the patients for that time. And then you are giving what's transpired over to the, your co-registrar and the, the plans to follow. And then they're turning around and saying, um, offering some, they're asking questions, offering feedback and um 
maybe even objections to some of your plans. And then you're in the position where um, you need to explain yourself and what what your team has done and why you want to you want to back that plan or not for as that next registrar comes on. And this is completely understandable because the next registrar, they just want to do a good job too. And if the plan doesn't make sense to them, or if the management that's transpired so far doesn't make sense to them, they need to ask and we actually want them to ask. And then the interesting bit about this is how we go about um, asking those questions in a way um, that isn't unnecessarily critical, that that still, um, you know, it, from a coaching perspective, we'd say that we usually get the best results from other people and for ourselves when we um, hold unconditional positive regard for the other. So this, this is just a concept if you would like to take it on. It's optional. It's not a rule of life or anything. But in general, we find that, you know, if you're the registrar coming on who is about to take on this patient load and all of the plans that have been preconceived without you, to ask the questions in a way that holds unconditional positive regard for the um, the other registrar, which, um, you know, in a couple of simple sentences might sound something like, um, I don't understand why this has happened or that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to assume there's a good explanation for it or I'm going to assume maybe there's just some information I'm missing that I've made some assumptions that are untrue and therefore I'm going to ask a question in a way that that, can, that, that comes from that place as opposed to asking the question that comes from they've made a bad decision there, they must have done it wrong, I must be right and they must be wrong, that kind of place. So... I might just put that person to the side because I think it would be great today if we could focus on the person who's receiving those hard questions, the registrar who's just completed their seven to eight days or the week, whatever it is, they've just been managing the patients and they're now receiving that questioning from their co-registrar or the consultant. And regardless of the intention of the co-registrar who's asking the questions, giving the objections, Regardless of their intention, sometimes we can receive those that line of questioning in a way that feels like criticism. And this is where coaching can be really, really valuable. Um, if is that a good spot for us to talk about today, receiving that that line of questioning? I think so. Yeah, and I guess I, I'd love to round up with um, coming back to the the person who's uh, you know making the handover hard as well but I think that's a great place to start because I think if you're in that situation the person who is making your handover difficult is may even be unaware that they're doing that as well so I think like it is uh, a case of the person who is giving the handover and finding it difficult I think they're the one that has to make change in this situation yeah so I think that's a perfect place to go so yeah what would you suggest so um, coming from that perspective of somebody who, um, so let, let's try and paint the scenario so we can be clear. So we're in a situation where you've done your seven to eight days, you're sitting here with co-registrar and you're telling them the plans that have transpired. And the situation is right that um, the second registrar receiving the patients is, uh, is asking questions in a way that feels like an attack. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So... We just said that, you know, that second registrar um, can and, you know, I would recommend for the best outcomes can hold 
they're the first registrar in unconditional positive regard. Now, whether or not they do that is totally out of your control. And also, you know, it's not necessarily in their control, depending on their level of awareness either. They might feel so intimidated by the week to come, frightened that the plans are wrong and that they're going to end up, you know, not being able to take care of the patients and da-da-da. Their fears might be so overwhelming, you know, even if they're not so obvious to them, but that might be the thing that's getting in the way of them really being able to receive that handover in a really productive way and hold their co-registrar in, uh, like, unconditional positive regard to the point that they can ask questions in a productive way. So let's just say that, let's just say in this situation that the other registrar is, you know, actually um, not receiving the handover in a productive way and maybe they are a bit defensive and scared. And so their line of questioning to get the information they need isn't particularly skillful. That happens, you know, and sometimes, um you truly can feel, I suppose, attacked in this situation. Even if that second registrar coming on to receive the patients was genuinely attacking you, that doesn't mean that you have to suffer in that situation or doubt yourself or criticise yourself or show up in a lesser way. We want you to be able to recognise the how you're interpreting this handover so that you can hold yourself in a way that means that you can hold your head high, correct the mistakes that you've made, and then walk out of the hospital and have your time off, not feeling plagued by what you've done over the past week. So the first thing would be is you have, um, so you're, you're going through a list of patients, you're giving the management plans. And your second registrar says, why did you do that, for example? And suddenly you feel, let's pick an emotion. Would it be defensive, um, hurt, resentful? Would it, any, anything come up for you? Yeah, I mean, even as you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> it does, it, it gets you, it gets you right here. Yeah, um, yeah it's very uncomfortable. And there's like a, a, almost like a kind of a, like all that imposter syndrome stuff that comes up, all your own insecurities. You're like, oh, well, why did I do that? Wait a minute, yeah. till I think about why I did anything in life. Like, just hold on, like, that's what comes up for me. There's like an yeah. instant insecurity yeah. spiral. <laughs> and it's interesting, right? Because, um, so, they say, they've asked this question of um, why did you do this? And I guess the alarm bell for me is the negative emotion that comes up. You know, if somebody asks why did you do this and you don't get a negative, like a negative or unpleasant emotional reaction to it, you're probably having productive enough thoughts because, you know, in coaching the way that we pick your thoughts, it's not based on whether the thought sounds nice or is even true, but based on the effect it has on you, like literally the emotional effect that it has on you because that then affects your behavior. So the alarm bell is, you know, you're doing this handover, somebody asks you a question and you get that emotional reaction. So in that moment, knowing that your emotions come from your thoughts, we want to go up to your mind and see what you're thinking because they simply said, and there's no judgment here because that's enough to like make the alarm bells go off to, for me too. Like if somebody says, why did you do that? <laughs> like defense systems on. But if, you've, if you're feeling defensive, it's not just the sentence, um, it's not just you thinking um, 
they said, why did I do that? Or why did I do that in your head, in your head? There's some thought that's creating an emotion of defensive. So what did, what are you making that mean that they've said that? Why do you do that? Let's even just think about that for a moment now. So they said, why did you do that? What are they thinking about you? What are we making that mean? Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, they think I'm a terrible doctor. Yeah. Like they think I don't know what I'm doing. They think I'm yeah. incompetent clearly because they're asking me that question. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an interesting thing as well. When we think, when we're thinking about what they're thinking, because, you know, um, when somebody has a judgment about us, that judgment doesn't tend to be a problem for us, something that affects us unless we believe that judgment about ourselves on some level. So that's the next really interesting step about coaching. It's quite hard to work with, you know, or we could go down that line of questioning where we're saying, I care about what they think. I care if they don't think I'm a good doctor. And then we're looking into things like seeking approval and being liked and having acceptance and belonging. That's one line we could walk down here. But I would be suspicious in this situation, especially, you know, as we've said before, in a situation of uncertainty, like the, the standard operating system of medicine, you don't know if your decisions are right. I would wonder if I would be more worried about or want to go down the line of questioning of, oh, do you think you're not a good doctor in this moment? I know I would be vulnerable and I'm, I'm constantly vulnerable to that thought when I work in the hospital again, because I like to conflate, not purposely, subconsciously, my mind likes to conflate me making medical decisions that turn out the best for the patient with how good of a doctor I am, which is very unfair. Because <laughs> again, that's not how medicine works. But that's what my mind will tend to do. So if you can see, like, if, if it's very easy for you when you've got this, like, list of patients and you don't know, you know, some of them you've made decisions over the week that haven't turned out to be the right decision. You've got evidence for that. And then you've got all these decisions that you've made that haven't yet played out and all that uncertainty that's looming. And so I think you're very vulnerable to the thought in that moment of, oh, maybe I'm not a good doctor. <laughs> so that's that's the that's the key to this situation. You notice the emotion of defensive. They've just said, why did you do that? You've noticed that you feel defensive. And so when you feel that emotion of defensive, you're like, I know there's a thought that's created or that's tied up with this emotion, what is it? They'll think that I'm not a good doctor. Ah, maybe I'm thinking right now that I'm not a good doctor and that's why I'm feeling defensive. Because see, when, when you have that thought as the problem, now we have a line, we can go and question that thought. When we just leave it as they said, why did you do that? How do we solve that problem? there's there's like we want people to be able to ask us questions the the words themselves why did you do that that doesn't in itself create defensive because there'll be other days of the week or in other situations or the same day when I go home and my partner says why did you do that and I won't feel defensive it's not the fact that they said those words it's the meaning that my mind added maybe I didn't act as a good doctor maybe I'm not a good doctor maybe I didn't do a good job as a doctor this week maybe feel defensive does that all, um, does that yeah. all make sense and give us somewhere it, to start? 
It really, really does. And I think that's such a beautiful uh, place to get to where you're starting to look at your own belief system because yeah, people can affect you and make you have an emotion unless you do truly believe it. These insecurities that we all have, like we're just human, they, they can only be used against us when we, we are connected to them on some level. And so I guess that is just such a beautiful segue into sort of how you think about yourself. And so how would you then progress that thought? So you, you probably, you may or may not be doing this in the middle of your handover, but I can see how with what you've just said, I can sort of sit down with myself, go through what you've just said and be like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm fine and I'm going to enjoy my weekend. Contrast that with, you know, not being able to process what just happened, feeling terrible and actually being a little bit scared to turn up on Monday or the next time you come on, scared to do another handover, scared to see that registrar again because you're thinking, they're thinking terrible things about you and there's this then it's become this big mountain that it didn't have to be. So I think what you're doing is obviously just nipping things in the bud and showing us a mirror up to ourselves for where we can take control of the situation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the frustrating thing about this work and also the empowering thing is you, when you have that thought, I'm not a good doctor, and you feel defensive, that thought creates that emotion. That emotion also creates the behaviour. And the frustrating thing that I'm talking about is when you're defensive and then you continue the handover in that fashion as when you're working in your professional capacity, you're annoyingly proving that thought true, that you're not a good doctor. You're giving yourself, you're going to show up in a way that's not as good of a doctor as you can be in that moment because you're being driven by defensiveness. So that's the real bigger risk of this. Sure, there's the handover in that moment, but as you say, if we allow these thoughts to stay in our mind without questioning them, then we do end up proving them true. You do end up not showing up to your colleagues as you'd like to the next time, the next day, um, and your patients and so on. And I think the reason why I think this work is so important is because, you know, as we say, even as we say this thought out loud, maybe I'm not a good doctor, a lot of us will probably sit back and think, I don't really believe that. I don't think, you could always say like, I don't think that's my problem. I don't really think I'm a, not a good doctor. I don't, I don't believe that. But that's what you believe in the bigger picture, greater sense is not the same thing as what thoughts run through your mind in the moment. So even if you sit back now and you're like, no, I don't really believe that. It's probably not my problem. It doesn't mean that that thought didn't pop into your mind in the moment and cause that emotion. And this is why thought work is so important. You know, I when I get into a nice space, when I've had a break, when I'm at, at home, when I'm in like my, my best life situation, I don't have many negative thoughts about myself because I, I don't really believe a lot of those thoughts. But when I'm in those stressful situations, when somebody says something and then my mind interprets, interprets it, sometimes I can have a thought like I'm not a good doctor. It doesn't matter that I don't believe it in my best self, in my best, best moments, but in that moment, that thought created that emotion. So we do, if the thought is affecting you just in that moment, we do want to question it. And what happens is over, you don't have to do this every single time, but as you progressively notice those thoughts in the moment, you notice that that thought affects you in that moment, then you question it. The thought becomes less able to affect you in the future because 
you've already kind of closed that circuit. The next time you'll more easily get awareness that that thought was even in your mind until this point, until we've spoken about on this podcast, you might not have realized that that was a thought that you had in your mind because you just think you, you don't believe it. So then when you actually go to close that loop and say, ah, I I see that thought and I don't believe it, that can be enough in some cases for you to stop feeling defensive and just be present with that person who's literally just said, why did you do that? Right? So then as time goes on with awareness and with that questioning and with your responses to your thoughts in the moment, it doesn't become work anymore. It becomes more automatic. But at first, I want you to sit down and scan your mind for what thoughts are happening in that moment and actually give yourself an opportunity to question them and work on them, even if you think you don't believe them, because there might be a part of you that does to the point that it affects you in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just, I wish I was this evolved and I wish I had this podcast back in the day when I had this situation. So what I actually did was I went home feeling terrible. I'd had a few of these different handovers on various days, but there was just part of me that was like, I can't continue. And so I'm going to have to try and have a conversation with this person. So on a separate day when I wasn't handing over and they were just me and them, I just sort of fed back to them that, you know, can I talk to you about something? Just wanted to reflect on the way we do handover or the way we did handover last night. When we did that, it made me feel like a certain way. I can't remember the exact words I used, but I think it was, you know, it just just didn't feel very good the way that you were criticizing and questioning what I was saying. Um, And and it was just really hard to to give the handover because as well as questioning, there was lots of interruptions and talking overs and that kind of thing as well. It was all layered. Um, And probably just came from that person being stressed. Like you said, they probably didn't want to have the handover. I can fully relate to that problem, right? You don't want to be having the handover. You want to be on an island somewhere. You're just receiving a list of problems that are now your problems, aren't you? Right. (laughs) So, So fair enough. But what actually happened, I was terrified of having this difficult conversation. And what actually happened was the person was horrified horrified that they had upset me in any way and it definitely changed their behavior and I guess it was an experiment and a risk because I was so worried that having that conversation would mean something like it wouldn't go well that they wouldn't receive that because then I guess I'm criticizing them in some way and I thought you know this is going to be terrible so I really had to muster up the courage but it just got to a stage where I couldn't take it anymore. And, but I just wonder that kind of this, the end of that story went well and things got better from there. And since I've become a consultant, the other thing that I think we do culturally in our department that we had to change was uh, changing the language we use in this. Cause apart from one-to-one handovers, sometimes we have these unit meetings when we're presenting patients and this can happen in a lot of different specialties. Once a week, you'll have a meeting. And what used to happen was even from the crowd, people would say, oh, why did you do that? But the word you, as opposed to the word we makes a big difference. So we actually changed the culture of our language in the department. So we're only allowed to, if you're asking about why something's not done or done, you have to say, oh, why did we do this? Or have we thought about doing this? That's how we have to phrase it because otherwise it does feel triggering and it can feel like you're attacking someone who's presenting a case so I think in in both handovers and audit meetings I think those are are two sort of 
ways that I've handled this problem. But I'm curious as to your thoughts because you're sort of, um, obviously you've got a lot of amazing things to say about the intrinsic issue and how people can handle this as individuals but is there any merit to having those conversations or would you have handled that differently I'm just curious as to what you would have done I think you've done a beautiful upstanding thing here as well and how great is it to hear that it was just a lack of awareness on the other person's part and like the fact that you brought it to their awareness changed their behavior so not only for you but for all the people to come because again I suppose my hypothesis is that, you know, I said at the start that if people are questioning in a way that feels hostile, that it's probably coming from fear and insecurity, but also a lack of awareness on top of that. They're not even aware. (laughs) Doctors are not good at emotions by our training. We've learned to suppress all our emotions. We're not even aware when we're feeling fear and insecurity and defensive and attack and so on. And then you have, so that lack of awareness can can be enough to tip off that cascade of people being able to behave in a way that's that's conducive to that that great interpersonal space and you've touched on a really important concept here and it is um it's the greater goal I think for all workplaces and certainly a lot of um the initial research for this concept came from the healthcare space, actually. And I don't know if you've heard it, the the concept is psychological safety by Amy Edmondson. So um, psychological safety is, I'll just pull up um, something on Google so I can get this definition right. Psychological safety is the belief that you won't be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. At work, it's a shared expectation held by members of a team that teammates will not embarrass, reject, or punish them for sharing ideas, taking risks, or soliciting feedback. So the fact that, you know, the the change of, um, the fact that your team went to the effort of changing I statements to we statements, it seems to me like a step towards psychological safety and just creating this environment where as individuals, we can feel more safe to speak our minds genuinely, our feedback, our requests, our concerns, our ideas, without it being received in a hostile way and therefore in a way that we'll be punished for it. So we can't, I we can't underestimate how important that cultural aspect is. And I suppose from a coaching perspective, I just like to focus on the individual because I can't affect the culture immediately um, in the workplace. We can take, and you've actually taken steps too by speaking to your colleague in in that way and giving her him or her that feedback or them. But from my perspective, by empowering people in to refit, to have awareness of themselves in this situation, whether the person receiving the uh, handover or giving the handover, empowering them to know what's in their integrity and what they think is the standard here, also by virtue makes them more likely to speak up and make requests when they feel safe in themselves. So you've obviously gotten yourself to that point during this this difficult situation that you had where you thought it was the greater good for you to speak up even though it was hard. And that's what I really like to do in coaching. We start with the individual, but by working through our own stuff, you end up feeling empowered to the point that you feel motivated and proud to 
make requests of other people and involve other people in the changes that you want to make. So I just, what you've done here to me is the, it's the end goal. It's the byproduct of somebody who becomes empowered and decides to be in their integrity and back themselves. So yeah, absolutely. There is, that is the ideal Christine, I think. And as what you, as with what you have done here, you start with yourself to do that because culture change isn't some magical thing. The individual humans change the culture. Yeah, that was such a mic drop moment. <laughs> Can we tweet that? We don't we don't even have Twitter, but whatever you just said. I want to bottle that up for life. Yes, start with the individual. It starts with you and then you can lead. You can be the ripple effect that you want to see. And with from that empowered place, it's so easy to speak up and be authentic and be the change because you feel so safe in yourself. And then if you don't have a psychologically safe workplace, you know, or if, if we need more of them in the world, then it feels like what you said, the way that we're gonna get them is by starting with the individual and yeah. placing them <laughs> into the workplace. So I'm just so grateful for all the work that you do. And I think I think it's just a really great, obviously, um, for those of you who are listening, we'd love to hear your feedback on this. If, if you have any other ideas, any other experiences that you'd love to share, drop it in the comments below and share this episode with other doctor humans who need to hear it. Because like Beck said, um, you know, we can affect change and we can have a ripple effect. And I think handover, it's a it's a perfect storm sometimes we have good weeks good days good bad days and it can be different on every day but if we're more cognizant of how we're behaving in our handovers we're ultimately gonna be showing up as better versions of ourselves and making the entire workplace better for doctors healthcare professionals and patients so um yeah so we'd love to hear your thoughts any other um comments from you Dr. Well, I just feel like your story about how you you got yourself to a place where you could go and have that conversation and it turned out great, that's extremely inspiring to me. And I would just love to hear if other people had evidence of where they have gone and had a hard conversation and it's it's turned out to be not as bad as what they thought it would be. I think it's really useful to have that evidence. So if anybody else is able to share when they've gone ahead and had a difficult conversation and actually it's turned out fine or if it's turned out terrible, let us know as well. We, we For a lot of us, we're more afraid of the potential, the possibility to the point that we don't actually initiate. So anybody who's had the experience where they've initiated it, please tell us the outcome. Please tell us what's transpired and what you've learned because we would love to learn from you as well yep absolutely and thank you so much for tuning in we love you guys and we'll see you again real soon back here on the pod <laughs> bye everyone bye. i've been waiting all my life for something i've been down the darkest roads and up in the clouds but i've always felt that something's missing